age four through age 10 who want to go to our kids program for the rest of the service can go now. And I'll invite everyone else just to stand and stretch for a second. Say hello to the person next to you if you want. And after the service, you can continue your uh, friendliness out on the patio where we'll have coffee and tea and other refreshments. So a man and a woman enter a church as two individuals and they exit as a couple and as a family. A man or a woman enters the platform area in front of the U.S. Capitol as a regular citizen and exits as the President of the United States. A man or a woman ascends a university stage as a Mr. or a Ms. and descends as a doctor. Graduations, inaugurations, ordinations, coronations, ceremonies, they have the power to change a whole lot. The people, or the, the, the people themselves may not change, but their roles and their purposes, their responsibilities, their privileges and their opportunities change a great deal. In this morning's text, Leviticus 8, um, Rachel read it for us, and you can open to it if you have a Bible, or you can find one in the seat back in front of you. It's uh, near the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book of the Old Testament, right at the beginning of the Bible, page 75. So in this text, we have one such ceremony. It's described for us here, an ordination ceremony. And it doesn't make for particularly interesting reading, does it? I think if we could see the video, that might be slightly more interesting, especially if there was some color commentary from one of our networks but even then, ceremonies like this don't appeal to everyone. Some of us thoroughly enjoy the pomp and the circumstance of, of the coronation of British royalty or the inauguration of our president or the ordination of the pope. But others of us are bored stiff. You know, we're ready to change the channel. Maybe we don't care because we don't understand what's going on. We, the, the rituals and the vestments and the traditions... They're all strange to us. We don't speak the language of pageantry. We don't get the symbolism that's involved. So my challenge this morning is to get us up to speed on what's happening in Leviticus 8 as Moses ordains the priests of Israel and, and to try to make this meaningful so that we can appreciate the significance of the moment that's described here. I want to help us to see that through its ritual and ceremony, this ordination teaches us at least three important things about the priesthood which Aaron and his sons are entering into here. That is that the priesthood is an incredible privilege, that it is a holy responsibility, and that it is a gift of undeserved grace. 
But before we get into those three things, I want to explain why this ordination, which happened so many thousands of years ago, is still relevant to us. We don't have the slide up here yet. We're having technical difficulties, so that's all right. We'll, we'll catch up with those. Think about the Old Testament. When God first offered to make a covenant with his people, in Exodus 19, he said to them all, he said, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. Every one of God's people was to be a priest to the broader world. And yet we read this morning that God chose Aaron and his sons to be a priesthood within that priesthood. Aaron and his sons were to be Israel's priests. Yeah, there we go. So we're on the left-hand side here. We've got Israel, the kingdom of priests. We've got the Aaronic priesthood, a priesthood within that priesthood, to be Israel's priests, to model, to model for all of God's people what it looked like for them to be priests to the bigger world. Are you following me? Okay. Now, in the New Testament, over to the right-hand side, Jesus stepped into the sandals of Aaron as the greatest and final priest, our priest. Jesus is now the priesthood within the priesthood. And Jesus models for us what it looks like for us to be priests to the world as we take Israel's place. Because as Peter put it in 1 Peter 2, we as God's people continue to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. If we are followers of Jesus, then we are all priests. So as we look at Aaron's priesthood this morning, there's a lot that we can learn about Jesus' priesthood and about our own as we're instructed in how to fulfill our calling as God's priests. All right, so let's look at it through those eyes. Let's start then with the privileges of the priesthood. The garments themselves that Aaron is dressed in on the day of his ordination speak to the privileges of being a priest. You can read on all the details on, of this ancient fashion design if you go back to Exodus 28. There's a turban with an engraved gold plate on it. There's a breast piece of gold and blue and purple and scarlet of fine yarn and linen with 12 precious gems on it. And each is engraved with the names of one of the tribes of Israel. The breastplate was held on by braided chains of pure gold. Then an ephod, no one quite knows what that is, maybe a waistcoat. Uh, and it was made of fine gold and purple and blue and scarlet cloth. And on it were two, on the shoulders, two onyx stones, which were set in um, gold filigree settings. And those had engraved on them, again, the, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then underneath the ephod was a robe of fine blue cloth with pomegranates embroidered around its hem and gold bells between the pomegranates. Well, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, and this is not exactly our idea of high fashion, but I think if we were able to get a closer look to touch the, the rich, exquisite fabrics and to admire the, the ornate artistry and, and the threads of pure gold and the gold and the precious gems, I think we'd be impressed. Especially considering that everyone else in Israel, 
are a bunch of freed slaves wandering around in the desert, and they're probably not exactly fashion plates, to say the least. The priest's garment set him apart as a person who was privileged. Even more than the uniform, though, was the priest's job. The high priest got to serve at God's tabernacle in God's presence. We need to understand that the tabernacle was the great king's palace. God was the king and his tabernacle was his palace. It's a a palace tent at this point in Israel's history. It becomes a building later. It's complete with ornate gold furniture, with fine weavings, and with the finest affair. While Israel was eating manna in the wilderness, God was served beef and lamb on the altar. And the priests, who were God's personal staff, got to eat a share of the royal food. Further, God was present in his tabernacle. His glory filled it. And so the people had to stay away from the tabernacle, but not the priests. They got to go in to God's presence to be near him. What a privilege. Take any culture with a strong religious center, whether it be Europe in the Middle Ages under Catholicism or or whether it be a small tribal village in Africa worshiping pagan gods. In such a culture, the priests are some of the most powerful, most important people in that culture. Because in such a culture, everything depends on the favor and the blessing of the God or the gods that you worship. And the priests are the representatives and the mediators of that favor and blessing. So on that day in Leviticus, when Aaron and his sons were ordained as priests, they were stepping into a life of incredible privilege. That's why it's not surprising a little later in the story in the book of Numbers, the Israelites would rebel and others would try to get a share in the priesthood as well. And that's why in the Middle Ages, people would seek to actually buy their way into the priesthood if they had means. To be a priest was an incredible privilege. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you enjoy that privilege. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the great high priest, has once and for all opened the way into God's presence. And by his blood, he secured God's favor and forgiveness for all who put their trust in him. If we follow Jesus Christ and if we put our trust in him, then you are a priest and I am a priest. Sorry, we don't get fancy outfits with gold and a lot of jewelry, but we're priests We get to serve the king of kings. We get to be in his very presence. We get to be his representatives, mediating his blessing and his favor to one another and to the world. Martin Luther and other reformers in the 1500s risked their lives to return this privilege of the priesthood to those to whom it belonged, all the people of God. We don't need to rely on saints or clergymen to bring us to God. No, we can walk right into God's presence, both for ourselves and for others. Bringing their concerns to God, asking God to be merciful to them, the people we care about, and offering that person the blessings and forgiveness of God in Jesus' name. 
What a privilege. Well, not only is the priesthood an incredible privilege, it's also a holy responsibility. God makes it very clear that he is holy. He is totally pure. He is totally perfect. He is separate from us. He is other. And to be a priest is to serve him. It's to be invited into his holy presence, but to be invited on his terms, not ours. You may remember the story of Esther, the Jewish wife of the uh, powerful Persian emperor Xerxes. Xerxes, the king, had a rule that no one, not even his wife, was allowed to come into his presence if he hadn't invited them. And it's the same with God. But God's priests are invited in. This is an incredible privilege. It's also a holy responsibility. That's why God spelled out in specific detail when and how the priests were to serve God in his presence. The book of Exodus and Leviticus, if you've read them, you know that they're full of these detailed instructions, aren't they? Instructions about how to bathe and how to dress before you enter the tabernacle, about when to enter, about when not to enter, about how to tend the bread and the lamps and the altar for burning incense that were in there, and about how to offer sacrifices step by step, detail by detail. We see this attention to detail in the ordination ceremony itself that, that Rachel read for us. Back in Exodus 29, if you read there, God had spelled out exactly how the ordination of the priests was to be carried out. And now we see Moses carrying it out detail for detail. Now, it's not that God is a control freak, that he was totally anal retentive and he, he just had to micromanage how everything was done. Rather, God wanted to impress upon the priests and upon the people how holy he is and what a responsibility it is to be a priest. Because to be a priest is a huge privilege, right? And that privilege easily gets abused. And throughout history, priests have in fact often abused their privileges. They've extorted money from the people. They've used their religious power to control people. They've turned the worship of God into a religious show in which they were the stars. They've grown fat and proud wearing their fine clothes and eating God's fine food with little compassion for the people that they were supposed to serve. And because the priests represent God, when they abuse their privileges in these ways, they misrepresent God. And so instead of the priests becoming a point of connection between the people and God, the priests become a barrier and a hindrance. In Israel, there was also the ever-present danger uh, that the worship of the true God would degenerate into the worship of the pagan gods of the nations around them. If you follow the story of Israel at Mount Sinai, you'll remember that this has already happened shortly before Aaron is ordained priest. In the book of Exodus, while Moses is up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, Aaron is down below. And what is he doing? He's fashioning an idol, a golden calf, and he's leading Israel in an orgy of worship to it. Our 
temptation to twist and to distort the worship of God is why God deals so sternly with Aaron's two sons a little later in the story in Leviticus 10 when they ignore God's instructions and they do it their own way. They offer unauthorized fire on the altar of incense. The priests just began their ministry in Leviticus 9 and by Leviticus 10, one chapter later, they're already off track. They're all about the privilege, but they aren't taking the responsibility seriously. They're playing fast and loose with God. And so God made a very firm and decisive correction. He, he nipped it in the bud. He strikes Nadab and Abihu, these two priests, dead. He will not let the priests go down the road of abusing their privilege and becoming an obstacle to his relationship with his people. To be a priest is a holy responsibility. We work for God, not for ourselves. We serve God, God's purposes, God's interests. When it comes to things religious, we have to put aside our preferences and our wishes and our comforts and our fears and say, God, how would you like things done? We serve you. Now, for us today as God's priests, this is true both in what happens in this room on a Sunday morning and in what happens in church leadership meetings and congregation-wide forum meetings. And it's also true in what happens with our daily interactions with people in the world. We're in the world as a royal priesthood. We're called to foster that connection between people and God. That's why Jesus got so mad with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said they were putting heavy burdens on people's backs and not lifting a finger to help them carry them. That they were traveling over land and sea to win a single convert. But once they brought that person into the, the faith, they were making that person twice as much a son of hell as they themselves were. To be a priest is a holy responsibility. We better not rip, misrepresent God to people or become an obstacle and a barrier in the way of people coming to know God. So how do we learn how to be good priests? We learn from Jesus, the great high priest himself. We read the Gospels, the stories about Jesus, and we follow Jesus' example as we see it there. Jesus condemned self-righteousness and, and judgmentalism. He ate with prostitutes and gangsters and misfits and lowlives. He had compassion on those who were suffering. And he sacrificed to help them. The people Jesus were hardest on were the people who were supposed to be the priests or playing that role as leaders of God's people. So that's what it means to be a priest. You know, I did carpentry work for the six months before I came to CBC, and I worked with a crew of three guys who were in their late teens and their early 20s. And all three were unmarried, and two were living with their girlfriends, and all three had children already. They were all fathers by the time they hit 20. All three of them smoked and or struggled with alcohol and drug use. Two of them were turned off to religion. But it turned out that all three were spiritually curious. And they knew that I'd been a pastor. 
And whether I was going to be a threat to them or whether I was going to be a spiritual resource to them, a priest to them, had everything to do with whether they felt I looked down on them or whether I cared for them and whether they felt they could trust me. What a holy responsibility. I had to go to Jesus and I had to ask Jesus, how did you relate to people like this? Well, not only is being a priest an incredible privilege and a holy responsibility, it's also a gift of undeserved grace. We just saw that shortly before Aaron's ordination, he had led Israel in the heinous sin of worshiping the golden calf. Aaron does not deserve to be a priest. He's already blown it. He, of all people, does not deserve the privilege of leading people in the worship of the true God. And yet, grace of all graces, God still gives Aaron the incredible privilege of being his priest. The point is, in fact, that Aaron and every other priest is unworthy to serve as a priest. That's why at Aaron's ordination, a number of sacrifices are given. If you keep reading the story through verses 14 and following, where animals die to take the punishment that Aaron and his sons deserve. There's a sin offering to purify Aaron and his sons from their uncleanness, their impurity. There's a burnt offering to atone for their sins. There's an ordination offering to set them apart for God's service by God's grace alone. Aaron becomes a priest by being bathed and washed in grace. And the same is true for you and me. We don't get this amazing privilege of being God's priest because we deserve it. We can't earn the privilege. We cannot shoulder also uh, we cannot shoulder this holy responsibility without God's grace. To forgive us and to cleanse us when we fail. And we do again and again. We stand in God's grace every day. Jesus, of course, was the one priest who didn't need sacrifices offered for his own sins. We read it in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 7, it puts it there. Unlike the other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins. And then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Jesus shed his blood to pay for sins and because he had no sins of his own to pay for, he paid for ours instead. As God ordained Aaron to become a priest by cleansing him from his sins by sacrifices of blood. So God has ordained us the same way. By the sacrifice of Christ, his bloodshed on the cross, a magnificent gift for us of undeserved grace. Despite our sinful ways, we are God's priests. And that is a privilege, a responsibility, and a grace. All right, well then, how or what exactly do priests do? Let's get practical. Basically, priests serve God by doing two things. They represent God to people 
and they represent people to God. Maybe you kinesthetic learners, you can do the hand motions with me. They represent God to people, and they represent people to God. That's what priests do. First, they serve God by representing God to his people. If you read through Leviticus, you'll see that they do this by teaching God's law, by judging cases related to that law, determining when someone is clean or unclean, when someone is innocent or guilty. They also model holiness, showing people what it looks like to live a, 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 a good, holy, wholesome life. They also discern God's will for God's people. You, you may remember that mysterious Urim and Thummim that they use to, to do this. Something like casting lots. The priests also receive the, the gifts and the offerings and the tithes that people give to God. And they, they even serve as sort of butchers and cooks, presenting God his food on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And here's my favorite. The priests serve as a security force by protecting the holiness of God's dwelling from impurity and defilement. They represent God to the people. Second, the priests serve God by representing the people to God. And this is an act of sheer grace to us as people. It stands to reason that a great king like the Lord would have servants to represent him to us. All kings have tax collectors and accountants and administrators and chefs and agents and law enforcers and security details. But only good kings care enough to provide their people with advocates to ensure that their people have access and representation to their king. It was already an amazing act of grace that, that the holy God of heaven chose to come down and to be among his people in his holy tabernacle. But he didn't stop there. No, God went further. He provided priests to represent his people to him in his presence. He want, God wants to have a relationship with us. This is portrayed right on the priest's garments, isn't it? We saw that, that when the priest goes into God's temple, he wears the names of the tribes of Israel on his shoulders and on his chest, bearing God's people into God's presence, representing them. So how did the priests represent the people to God? Well, they led them in music and pageantry to praise their God. They oversaw both the big national celebrations that Israel had several times a year and the many smaller parties that worshipers had when, when they brought a fellowship offering or a Thanksgiving offering uh, to the temple and they ate it together. They had a party in God's presence. The priests also received the many gifts and offerings that the people were bringing to God and offered them to God on the people's behalf. And most importantly of all, the priests offered sacrifices on the altar and performed other rituals to cleanse the people from their uncleanness and to atone for their sins, to restore their relationship with God. The priests represented the people to God. Well, Jesus does all this for us today. He's fully human. He's the perfect human being. And he's fully God. He's deity himself. And so Jesus is the perfect one to represent God to us and to represent us to God.
And even now, he's at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. But we get to join Jesus in his priestly work. If we're Jesus' followers, we do it for one another, we do it for the whole world. We represent God to other people, and we represent people to God. We stand in the gap, we facilitate relationships between heaven and earth. When I was doing carpentry work with those three young guys I told you about, we did some landscaping work early one spring because carpentry was slow because of the weather. And one of our jobs was raking the leaves up on a, the sprawling grounds of a huge mansion. The house was grandly situated at the top of a hill, and there were manicured lawns and gardens all around, and, and the house was imposing, it was luxurious, and here we were, four guys, making $11 an hour or so in our grubby clothes, cleaning up the grounds. And we were intimidated. Well, it turned out that the house just happened to belong to the brother-in-law and the sister of our boss. And we were intimidated, but when our boss showed up, he would stride right up to the front door, he'd give his sis a hug, and he'd walk in. And then he'd come out a few minutes later with coffee and cookies for us that he'd raided from her kitchen. In a way, he was like a priest, a go-between, opening doors that we couldn't open, gaining access where we dare not go, securing favor that we couldn't secure. Jesus does that for each of us. And I had the privilege of doing that for the three guys that I worked with. Representing God to them, demonstrating God's love for them by loving them myself. Modeling holiness by, by being a servant, by taking on the dirty, tough jobs that they didn't want to do as we worked together. Answering their spiritual questions when they came up. Sharing the story of God's grace when I had a chance to do so. I also represented them to God. I prayed for them and for their concerns. And I looked for chances to, to let them know that there was forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ which could bring them back into favor with God and into a relationship with him. One summer when I was studying theology at Regent College, I was TAing for, for a, um, a summer course and it had a small group component. And Regent's summer school program attracts people from all over. They come and they take a one or two week course and and they enjoy the beautiful Vancouver outdoors and lots of festivities which are there for them. So the people in my group came from several different countries and they came from a variety of church backgrounds to, to get the region's experience for a week or two in the summer. And during the week, one of the course lectures in this course was on the wonderful truth that we've been considering this morning, the priesthood of all believers. The fact that, um, that we who follow Jesus are all priests. And for one woman in my group who was from a high church background, this was a wonderful, brand new revelation. And it just caused her heart to soar. It caused her eyes to light up. She was a priest. She could help other people relate to God. Now, in her church tradition, only 
the, the ordained priest could offer the benediction at the end of the worship service, offering God's blessing to, to his people. And so as we closed our small group on the last day of the course, I felt led to give her the incredible privilege of standing among us and being our priest and, and blessing the rest of us in the group with a parting benediction. And she said later that that was one of the most significant moments in her Christian life. Have you stepped into the priesthood? Do you realize the incredible privilege, the holy responsibility, and the great gift of God's grace that it is to serve God in this way? God is longing to have a relationship with people. And we get to be the priests who help make that possible. Amen.